Welcome to the BGSM Podcast. I'm Daniel Friedman, and today I feel very privileged to be speaking with Dr. Louise Tullow, the recently elected president of the Australasian College of Sport and Exercise Physicians. With over 20 years of clinical experience as a sport and exercise physician, Louise has been a trailblazer for women in medicine everywhere. Louise, thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, Daniel, for having me. In 1977, Dr. George Engel introduced the medical world to the biopsychosocial model of understanding disease, proposing it as an alternative to the more reductionist biomedical model of disease that was popular at the time. And so if we fast forward many decades to your clinical practice, what does it mean to take a biopsychosocial approach in sport and exercise medicine, and why is it so important? Well, I think of the biopsychosocial aspect of a person's problem as really embracing the whole lived experience for this person sitting in front of you. So it doesn't really matter whether it's sport and exercise medicine or any other facet or any other medical problem that's causing suffering for them. That person has a lived experience outside the clinical context in which they are seeing you. And I think it's it can be a little tricky in sport and exercise medicine in that we often focus very much on the musculoskeletal system. We just talk about that that aspect of sports medicine and leave the other medical aspects of sports medicine aside for a moment. And we often are interested in this area of medicine because we love the musculoskeletal system. We love the anatomy, the physiology, the biomechanics, the real sort of peripheral tissue-based approach that fits nicely within that reductionist biomedical model. So I think that it's it's somewhat challenging for us to take that very comfortable, easy, straightforward biomedical model and expand it into all the things that impact a patient and contribute to suffering. And, and I think also that subspecialization hasn't helped with further reductionism. So I'd like to explore this with a case study. If there's a 45-year-old male presenting to you with osteoarthritic knee pain that's been ongoing for the past three months, and he has come to see you because it's been getting worse and he can no longer manage the pain himself, how do you start in trying to manage a patient like this? Well, where I would start is with their story. And good medical practice is that you really let a patient tell you their story without interruption until they're finished. And that can be really tricky in a busy practice. We tend to, we tend to know where the story is going to go. We tend to know what the symptoms are going to be. We can predict them. And there's a tendency to short circuit that process of letting the patient tell their story. And when you listen very carefully to someone's story in an uninterrupted fashion, it will go down little pathways that are important for you to come back later. It might, it might talk about beliefs around their osteoarthritis. It might talk about why they think they have their osteoarthritis, what they've already done about it. There may be little pearls in there about what they fear most about their osteoarthritis. So I think the first step is to listen carefully and in an uninterrupted fashion to the patient. And once I've listened to the patient's story, I will tend to ask some, you know, deeper questions around the particular problems we're trying to address around the more immediate presentation, which in this fellow is is pain, his pain that is less controlled. But I'll also ask some key questions to open up the psychosocial spheres. So one of those is, what do you think is happening? Because what I really want to know is what are their beliefs behind their problem? Because their beliefs behind their problem will impact on what they are willing to do about their problem. Particularly, this is important around osteoarthritis because people typically will have a belief that my knee, my cartilage is wearing out. 
I'm bone on bone and therefore I shouldn't be exercising because I'm only going to wear it out more. So this is a really pervasive belief that is unhelpful for the management of osteoarthritis. Um, so that would be one question. I want to know what they think is going on. They'll bring me their Google searches. They'll bring me their messages from other healthcare professionals, which may be helpful or indeed unhelpful and what makes sense to them. So that's a, that's a question that is really helpful to ask. And the other question that I ask, which is very fruitful, is what are you most worried about? Because this is often surprising. Sometimes people fear having to have a joint replacement and you might explore why that would be because sometimes they may have had someone who's had a very bad outcome or they may think that they won't be able to play with their kids. This is often a common goal with, with people with osteoarthritis, play with kids and grandkids. They may fear not being able to feel vigorous. They may be scared they won't be able to control with their weight. They may even be worried that the nighttime pain they're getting from their osteoarthritis relates to a cancer because, and often this would be their personal experience of knowing someone with bone disease related to a cancer. So if you if you put those beliefs and those most and those worries out on the table, you know where you're coming from with the patient and what's going to have the most impact on them and what also what avenues we can use to alleviate some of those fears. When you were sitting down with a patient and taking a history, how do you elicit the more psychosocial factors that are impacting that patient? So hopefully I've already created an environment of trust by listening carefully to the patient and playing back to them how I understand their problem. Then I would often step into the safest area of the psychosocial realm. So I might talk about sleep. So people are generally quite comfortable talking about sleep. I'll say, you know, this pain often can, arthritic pain can often bother people at sleep. How is your sleep going? And then wait for an answer around that and see if that's an issue. Then we might go into the more difficult to discuss areas and I say, people with pain often feel that when they're stressed, their pain is worse. Have you got any areas of stress in your life at the moment? And I'm often surprised at how often people will share areas of personal stress, whether it's in relationships or with children they're concerned about or in particular work stress and financial stress. So I think that's the privilege of being a healthcare professional, professional actually, that we can ask really personal questions and people will share them with us. So be bold with asking those questions. And then you can first obviously dig further into the areas of stressors and why they're going to be why they are perceived as stressful and what's the situation looking forward for that stressor and how is the person currently managing or mitigating that stress? How are they, how are they dealing with it and what impact is it having on other parts of their life? So we may not, as um, sport and exercise professionals, we may not be in positions to address those areas of stress, but at least if we identify and acknowledge that they're playing a part in the osteoarthritic pain, then that is incredibly helpful. How do you approach the issue of motivation with patients? Well, firstly, I'd like to know what they want to achieve. And that's uh, sometimes just a, a simple matter of asking them. So the question is, what do you want to get out of today's visits? And what do you want most for me? And then, then we get to clarify what those that builds into the, to the goals that we're hoping to achieve together by creating our management plan. So those goals in osteoarthritis are very typically, I just want to do this walk that I've got planned for my retirement. I just want to be able to play a bit more touch football. I just want to be able to run around the soccer park with my kids. 
So in summary, three really valuable questions you can ask your patients are, one, what do you think is happening? Two, what are you most worried about? And three, what do you want to get out of today and out of managing your osteoarthritis? Once we've asked those three questions, what do we do next? In the typical course of a patient's consultation, we would, of course, then examine the patient validate their symptoms. It's really important. The laying on of hands is an incredibly important healing process that works into that psychosocial aspect of the person's problem because it, it conveys trust and it conveys that I am, I am taking their problem seriously and it legitimizes my role as a doctor with this patient or any healthcare professional with this patient. So even though I kind of know there's going to be osteophytes and effusion and, and so forth, I am looking for things that like um, quadriceps weakness or lack of balance that we will be able to progress on the biomedical sphere of that patient's care. But it also adds these really important layers of trust. So once we've done those examination findings, we may have identified some physical things that we're able to address in the treatment plan. And then we'll sit down and we'll map out the plan going forward. So for me, if I'm trying to describe this biopsychosocial model and build that into my patient's management plan, I will actually often do it with a diagram that we draw out together. So the diagram on a big piece of paper looks like three circles in a Venn diagram pattern. And so I'll draw the circle and say, so every every symptom we have, and in this case your arthritic pain, results from things happening in your body, and I label one circle body, things happening in your mind, and I label one circle mind, and things happening in the world, I'll label that world and in the middle of that is your arthritic pain and then we'll talk about what's happening in that person's body so the body bit is the safe place that's where they're actually expecting me to spend my time and so we'll build up and I'll say well I can see that you have some swelling here so we can possibly help with the swelling you've also got some weakness in your thigh muscles and your um, hip controlling muscles so we can build up some strength with that and then we can look at these other areas that are affecting so your belief here that your knee is worn out is perhaps not how we understand arthritis anymore. Perhaps we understand arthritis, your knee, as a complex biological system that actually adapts and actually will get stronger and more resilient and less painful the more we exercise as long as we do that in a safe way. And then we might look at, and the other factor I noticed on your story is that you're actually not sleeping very well. So let's make a plan for, to address that. And you also mentioned you're under a fair bit of stress at the moment. And I think we need to be aware that when you're in high levels, have high levels of stress, often your pain, you are more sensitized to, to pain. And so that will be playing a part. We need to, to be mindful of that. If we look at this bubble in the world, you also mentioned that you're really having trouble with some gardening at, at at home and that this is this is a problem for you so we might pull together a little strategy perhaps it's only short term for, for taking that difficulty out of, out of your day-to-day -day life then once I'd labeled these things on the patient's piece of paper I would invite them to add to the domains are there any other areas that you think might be playing a part in your in the pain contributing to the pain of your osteoarthritis and then we'd follow on with building out what the treatment plan looks like according to their preferences, according to their circumstances, what's available to them, and and after agreeing what was what was relevant. 
When you are sitting down and chatting with a patient about these different domains and creating a treatment or management plan, do you have any tips for our listeners about how to work through the shared decision-making process? Yeah, so shared decision-making really is about what I know and I think and can bring to the situation and what the patient knows, what they think and they bring to the situation. And the locus of control for that needs to be with the patient. Even if the patient abdicates that control or decision-making to you as a clinician, the locus of control of accepting it remains always with the patient. And the patient will leave your room and go and live their life and try and engage with this plan or this treatment decision. So so they have to they have to buy into it. There's also so it will often be about asking patients which which treatment program they would they would like. For example, in osteoarthritis, it's invariably important to do some leg strengthening. Uh, if we talk about knee osteoarthritis, some some leg strengthening. So I might say the options for strengthening your leg would be I could give you a set of exercises for you to do at home you could see a physiotherapist to have some supervised exercises and the the pluses and minuses of that would be that you'll probably get a a bit more supervision a bit more the exercise will be more specific and tailored for you but it will cost you some money and time Um, or you could work with your personal trainer that you mentioned and we could modify some of the things you're doing there so what do you think would work for you and then we would build out what that looks like a bit further once the patient has identified their preference. And we would work through each of the different treatment options in the management plan in that fashion. Louise, I understand one of the major contributing factors to a patient's osteoarthritis is their weight. And I know it can be a touchy subject for a lot of patients. And so I was wondering, how do you go about addressing this with your patients? Well, I tend not to beat around, around the bush with when it comes to weight because I know how really valuable it is. If the person, if the patient is overweight, and our 45-year-old person with knee osteoarthritis is overweight, it's important that that's identified comfortably. So I will outline very early in the, uh, in the management plan that the most effective things that he could do would be to strengthen his knee, continue to exercise, and lose a bit of the weight. And the reason why the weight's really important is that not only is your joint carrying more weight, but the inflammatory consequences of being overweight also have an impact on your osteoarthritis. And we have great numbers around uh, weight and osteoarthritis. So that's really handy when you've got numbers to back up what you say. So, you know, we know that you will have great reduction in your pain symptoms if you just lose 5% of your weight. So, Mr. Patient, that's only five kilos for you, perhaps, or whatever the number is. And we know that if you lose 10% of your weight, that you will, your pain may be reduced by up to 50%, which is better than many joint replacements. I would also put weight, and I didn't mention it, but I would also put weight as one of the things happening in the body in the Venn diagram. I know in sport and exercise medicine at the moment, there's a really big focus on trying to change destructive terminology, like wear and tear and osteoarthritis, as you mentioned before. And a term that I hear used a lot is a complex patient or complex case. And I'm wondering what makes a patient complex? Oh, Daniel, I think just being human makes patients complex. But I think complex, when we describe it, in when it's used in those settings, is often another, uh, as an expression for I haven't really fully sorted this out for this patient. So it's more of a, 
problem from the healthcare professional's point of view from, than from the patient's point of view. So complex problems, we would describe patients with complex as a complex case because they're not straightforward and their problem, their pain or their suffering is not going to be, is not going to be solved by simply addressing their musculoskeletal issue. So when we have to look into issues of mental health or other more difficult domains, then it becomes complex because we're not actually very competent or confident to deal with those issues. So I think in some circumstances, that's a failure of our system and a consequence of short consultations, reductionist delivery of medicine, subspecialization, so forth, rather than a problem with the patient. But if I were to give you an example that's not our osteoarthritic patient, I, I might see a patient that's got trochanteric pain. So these patients, often if it's just trochanteric pain, all the symptoms stack up. The examination stacks up. They often come with some imaging that stacks up and it's all straightforward. But you frequently see someone whose pain is not quite typical, doesn't occur with stairs or walking, he's not quite in the low right location the pathology is there which it often is but it's not marked hasn't responded to the physiotherapies had various injections hasn't responded and it's persisting and that would be described that person would be described as a complex patient with a complex case but if you explore the psychosocial domains um, of that for that person you may well find that there's a lot of fear behind the pain that there is a lot of maybe some mental health issues and psychological issues and life stressors that are impacting the pain experience which is presenting like a trochanteric syndrome or an exaggerated or variant of a trochanteric syndrome so I think that often the complexity really reflects that we haven't nailed the problem on the head and that approaching the musculoskeletal aspect of that person's problem has not relieved their suffering so some of the signals that a patient may be considered more complex would be that they've had their problem a long time, so often in excess of six months, that they've seen multiple practitioners, that they've seen had multiple interventions, often they'll respond for a short period of time to the intervention but then the symptoms recur, that they've got multiple scans with varying degrees of pathology visible on them and that they might have arch binders or come in with lists of Google searches and so forth. And when you examine patients, these patients, they, they may also dem demonstrate a, signif a significant fear avoidant behaviour on their examination. And this is classic in back pain where you know, every healthcare professional asks the patient to bend forwards. And so they get used to the fact, they learn the fact that, that it's difficult to bend forward and they're cautious in that manoeuvre. So you can assess if, if, if someone's going to be complex or because they're fearful of moving. And everything is tender. Often the tenderness is is exquisite and it's spreading beyond the original area of where the pain started. Also when physical findings don't match up with known pathology because in medicine we know common things occur commonly and if things are not fitting outside that it might not be that there's some rare event, it might just be that we're not able to explain it on our typical biomedical uh, model and often limping or unusual limping will be a demonstration for that. Before we let you go, can you leave our listeners with three clinical takeaways for how they can take a more biopsychosocial approach in their practice? So one, ask the patient what they're most worried about. Two, be courageous and tiptoe into the psychosocial realm by asking at least one lifestyle impact question during your consultation. And the safest and easiest one here is about sleep patterns. And three, 
try using a screening survey like the Arebro to help you screen for those patients where you really need to address the psychosocial impact and also to help open up conversations about feelings and beliefs. If our listeners would like to learn more about how they can take a biopsychosocial approach to patient management or find out more about the Australasian College of Sport and Exercise Physicians, where should they go? Well, there are plenty of resources to expand your skills in the biopsychosocial model of care. But the one that I, ones that I like in particular and can highly recommend are those published by NOI Group under the leadership of Lorimer Mosley and David Butler. They have some great resources. And in fact, I use the Explain Pain Protectometer Workbook for a lot of my patients, particularly in the, around persistent pain. Um, and we'll include some more in the show notes. If you want to know, learn more about the college, our website has heaps of information on it and you are most welcome to join us at our annual conference, which is uh, in Canberra next February in 2020. Louise, it's been a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you very, very much for your time. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you for listening to this BGSM podcast with Dr. Louise Tullo. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with friends or leave us a review and connect to our social media channels. You can listen to a new clinically relevant BGSM podcast every Friday, and there is no better place to find them than on the BGSM app. As always, we hope you have a physically active day.